Independent. Expressive of a spirit of independence, self-confident, unconstrained. Good evening, my name is Joe Armstrong. Welcome to Independence Day. This is the show that examines the changing face of the music business and the people who are doing the changing. Independence Day brings you independent artists, producers, and music industry visionaries with in-depth interviews, live performances, and inside information, all without hype and direct from the artists who practice their craft. Tonight on Independence Day, we are very happy to have Mr. Mike Chalinski of Arrow Highway. In some circles, musicians joke about whether or not drummers are musicians at all. Sure, some drummers sing, Don Henley and Phil Collins come to mind, and some drummers redefine the art of the instrument. But some of those people behind the kid on the riser at center stage are a lot more versatile than a glorified metronome. Mike Chalinski is just this kind of artist. After co-founding the London-based dream pop band Drugstore in 1993, Chalinski decided to go a lot farther down the road of his artistic journey. He set off to document landscapes, both in photography and in instrumental sonic tapestries. The photographs were exhibited recently in Switzerland and in Atlanta, and the new music eventually took the name of his newest solo project, Arrow Highway. The instrumentals on Arrow Highway are evocative of U2 and Peter Gabriel producer Daniel Lanois' stark soundscapes, and they've provided a picture-perfect accompaniment to projects by National Public Radio. The first album features an 11-song cycle and will be available for download in September of 2013. Welcome to Independence Day, Mike Chalinski. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming out and spending the time. You've got this brand new project, and I think it's so... It's so unique. There's not a lot of people doing these types of projects where it's an instrumental album. Yeah. Uh, tell me, you know, what 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 was your journey from being the drummer in a dream pop band to a guy who kind of got away from the kit and makes these like soundscapes? Wow. Um, it started when I was in drugstore, um, pretty early on, actually. Um, for some reason, I always had that sort of urge to go fiddle around in the studio on off days or um with friends with darren in the band the guitar player at the time every once in a while we'd go off and do this weird little abstract mood thing um but i also got i think pretty much not long after they came out i got one of those roland vs 880s it's a eight track digital recorder it's a little for people who aren't in the business it's a little you know music was when music people made music at home once upon a time, it was a little cassette four track, well, a little tabletop deal. But this is a digital version of that, yeah, essentially. Yeah, exactly. A little eight track digital recorder, um, and I just used to fiddle around on that. Um, so I mean, I got that back in, you know, early days of drugstore. So I was always fiddling around like that on the side, um, and it just kind of grew from there. Yeah. And so, uh, as a drummer, like some some drummers are instrumentalists. Like they like I don't want to say they play just drums because there are certain drummers like Kenny Aronoff comes to mind who made his fame first in John Mellencamp's band. Mm-hmm. But you know he would play. You would look on the credits, the liner notes of a John Mellencamp record, and he would play drums, of course, on everything. And then he would play percussion, which is very loosely related mm-hmm. to drums. Right. But then he would play marimba. And then you get okay. to reading about the guy, or or bells or something, or vibes. Right. And you get to reading about the guy, and he's a completely trained musician. Oh, I didn't and know can that. Play music, you know. <laughs> can so play music, yeah, actual well, music. Well, that's what I mean, you know, because <laughs> drummers get kind of a bad rap and getting pigeonholed into not being a musician. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Um, I mean, in some cases, that probably is a bit of you know, there's a bit of truth to that, but yeah. God, I mean, the Flaming Lips guy, or he uh-huh. used to play drums. I, I don't know exactly what their lineup is like now or what they do live, but uh, the guy who, I think he became more of their keyboard guy. He Back when we played with them in the mid early mid-90s, 
and for a while he was the drummer. He he hit super hard. He was an amazing drummer. Um, anyway, but he could play everything. I mean, I, I heard at the time that he he used to play. I think before that he used to play like in a in like a hotel lounge or something. Okay, and, and he could play anything on the yeah. piano. Any you know, it's like some game. You're supposed to stump the guy, and you could never stump him. He could play anything. So there are guys like that out there. Drummers yeah. like that. Out yeah, there. the two guys come to mind that I've seen do this. Like they'll they'll they they're renowned for playing drums, and they're great drummers. Both of these guys, uh, Louis Perez from Los Lobos, oh. who've been around since the '80s. Oh yeah, you know I've seen shows like now. A lot of times when when you go see a Los Lobos show, uh, he won't even he'll play some songs behind the kit, but he'll be out playing guitar, okay, or some other instrument as much as he's playing drums. And they've got another guy. He'll come and play. So, you know, so he's kind of stepped out. And then there's a Canadian band from Toronto called Blue Rodeo. Their drummer, Glenn Milcom. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I knew them, yeah. Glenn Milcom, his, uh, his side band is called The Swallows. And they're kind of like this cool, smashing pumpkins kind of uh, loud, soft, guitar-heavy kind of music. And he plays all the instruments on these records. And they're really great. Hmm. So... It's interesting when I see drummers because they get so pigeonholed sometimes as that guy. He's just the metronome, you know, or the girl playing the drums. Yeah. Dave Grohl. Dave Grohl. Exactly. Yeah. He came up, you know, uh, or even Eddie Van Halen started playing drums. Oh, really? Those guys switched when they were younger, I guess. Oh, uh, really? Eddie had a kid and Alex, and Alex yeah. had a guitar. And huh. then Eddie had picked up the guitar and was better at it than Alex. So it was like, all right, they just switched. And, you know, the rest, as they say, is history. Yeah. So tell me, tell me about um, like your musical upbringing. You're from the Los Angeles area originally, right? Yeah, I grew up in West Covina, San Gabriel Valley. Okay, and were you like most other kids? You just playing and playing in bands when you were in high school, that kind of thing? Um, not really in high school. I started playing the snare drum in the school bands in fourth grade. Okay, um, that's some classical training, <laughs> a little so bit. to speak. My uncle played trumpet for the San Francisco Symphony, so I remember going to. The, the day when they were going to demonstrate all the instruments. And um, I was thinking, well, I'm going to play the trumpet, of course, because my uncle plays the trumpet. And for some reason, the drum, a tr drum, I guess, snare drum, attracted yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. And I had to decide. I just went with the snare drum. And I did that for Much a while. Much to your parents' chagrin, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. A couple years later, they bought me a drum set, but I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't have any lessons for that. I was just banging around. I was trying to play to records. Um, but I just kind of didn't go anywhere. So after a while, I think after I got out of grade school, I put both the snare drum and the drum kit kind of away. And then I, you know, I was into sports. I played baseball and basketball and ran cross country. And I loved music. I mean, in high school, I remember being completely into music, but I wasn't playing. So it was only like right after I got out of high school. What were the bands you were into when you were in high school? God, Elvis Costello. Yeah. I mean, I really liked that British sort of new wavy thing i mean nick lowe and graham parker and i don't know the clash and uh joe jackson yeah all, yeah yeah all that stuff um stuff that was pretty melodic kind of energetic but melodic um i didn't really know too many other people that were into it i used i do remember getting made fun of because i at one point in high school because of because of elvis costello oh man you, you won that one by a long <laughs> shot but the thing is, kids are ruthless, man. It's like Lord of the yeah, Flies. I, Children are completely ruthless. Even then, I, I thought, this guy's an idiot. Look, <laughs> my name is Joe Armstrong. People taunted me for the name. That you could have the name John Smith, and they would still taunt you. It's just how it is, man. I want to play a cut from this record, and I, and I want to come back after this. Let's talk a little bit about like what got you from L.A. to London, because it seems like that's not that's kind of a strange 
uh, you know, migration for a musician from LA to go to hmm. a rainy, dank city. So, but this first track we're going to play, the record that you've done is called Arrow Highway, eponymous, also yes. the name of this new project. Um, it's, it's, it's all instrumentals, but there's some vocals, but they're kind of mixed in the soundscape, right? Yeah, it's more like, a, I mean, they're actually backwards. <laughs> so, okay. so they're very weird, ghostly, yeah. almost sound like another language. Yeah, you know, and I made the Lanois reference before, and that's what it reminds me the most of. Or almost, yeah, they're almost trip hop. They're like Portishead without the vocals too. Huh? You know, so they create these these that's very evocative soundscapes. I mean, it's good music to. Uh, the two things struck me, other than the Portishead like uh, trip hmm. hop kind of thing. It's a good be a good music for like a, a a very chill party. Yeah, and it would be a good music to make love to. <laughs> that's what I think. So when we come back, so all of you out there in Radio Land. Put this on, maybe pause the show. When you come back, when you're finished, unpause the show, and I hope you enjoy the rest of this. This is Mike Chalinski's new project, Arrow Highway. On Independence Day, the first track from that record is called Western Electric. Let's dig this.
And that is Arrow Highway. I'm very, very happy to bring you this music tonight on Independence Day. Uh, the band is pretty much Mike Chalinski, but he's got some other friends along for the ride. You can pick it up at Bandcamp, correct? Yeah, Bandcamp.com. Yeah, arrowhighway.bandcamp.com is the link that I have here for that. You can also learn about your music at arrowhighway.com. And of course, as always, Independence Day is at indepday.com. I-N-D-E-P-D-A-Y.com. Please drop by and hear some music there. So let's... Let's continue on with this discussion of your musical journey and all these these soundscapes, man. Like it's, you know, you it's it's not surprising to me that you've gotten some attention, you know, for NPR using this kind of music because the music is so evocative of of a feeling, but you can't exactly put your finger on what that feeling is. Hmm. You know, what is it inside of you that made you decide to do a record that didn't have vocals? Because it's you're it's not that you're alienating part of an audience at that point, but I've always yeah. felt that vocals everyone carries around their voice everywhere they go. And even if you're not a singer, you have a voice. So people clue into that when they're hearing music, people especially who aren't musicians. So what made you decide? It was, a con- was that a conscious choice? Uh, yes and no. I mean, I did write some songs in Drugstore. Uh, I actually had one on the second album, which I actually recorded on that VS-880 right after I got it. It was the first song I recorded. Yeah. I had my mom play violin. Oh, cool. <laughs> um, it's very, very lo-fi. Um, so I, and then I wrote some other stuff or parts of things. Um, there was a B-side on one of the singles that I wrote, but Darren and Isabel sang. So I, I can sing a tiny bit in a sort of way, but I, I, I just never thought that writing songs you know, on an acoustic guitar or whatever was my strength. And this other stuff just really came naturally. Like I was saying, even back then, I would I would just, on days off or, or whatever, I'd go fiddle around at a studio if I had a little bit of money. I mean, I didn't have, at the time, I didn't have the VS-880 yet, the very early days of Drugstore. I'd just maybe go to a, a studio of a friend and, and we'd fiddle around for a day and come out with this evocative little soundscape and you know i didn't do anything with it but it just i it just felt natural to me yeah um and maybe my photography is a little bit lonesome sort of and and maybe that is just what comes out of me yeah um that feel or that vibe um and you know part of being whatever creative is sort of maybe tuning in to what what that is in you that's trying to come out and maybe that's yeah. just what it was and a, a song a pop song wasn't what was trying to come out of me it was something yeah. more whatever it's a very very it's it's like a different skill i think creating these types of soundscapes and kind of weaving them to, together without a traditional song structure where you're following you know the where the lyric dictates where the song is going to go yeah where rhyme scheme and the theme of the song and does the does the music match the lyrics or does the music go a cross cut to the lyrics uh you know so you're kind of throwing all that away yeah and starting from scratch and you know the soundscape is the closest excuse me closest thing i can think of to call it yeah yeah i think that's a good term i mean it's it also makes it harder to know for example when it's done yeah 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 <laughs> you know it's like if you've got a song and you've got vocals okay you know first chorus first chorus bridge whatever you guys and you're not supposed you know you're not going to overload you know the parts where there's vocals and you got to keep some space for the voice and it, it seems to suggest a little more of its form with this stuff it can be anything from one track or a couple yeah. to pretty lush and sometimes it's a little bit of a challenge to figure yeah. that out. And maybe yeah. you just have to sort of feel it at one point. Okay, that's good. Yeah. Um, sometimes I add something and I think, wow, I mean, how did I ever think this was 
at all decent before this, you know? And it could almost be a a living thing. We were talking as we were setting up a little bit about maybe I'm trying to talk you into doing a live show because I want to see these songs live at some point. And, you know, it's it's like a living art form. It's almost like jazz in that regard where because it's just kind of this soundscape, it can be whatever it's going to be on that day. You know, okay, this song is in this key and here's kind of like the closest thing to a melody or here's how it's almost like a, I'm using a term the kids use all the time, like a mashup. Yeah. Where you've got all these different things and you're throwing them in the pot. And on Tuesday, you know, this element might be the main element, musical yeah. el- motif of that element or of that song. So and then on Saturday might be different. So it's kind of organic. Yeah. Evolving a little bit. Yeah. And it's and I love that you use that word because, you know, when we think of organic, you tend to think of like acoustic instruments. And in these have kind of a groovy like trip hoppy kind of soundscape kind of feel. And there's a lot of ethereal instruments, but you're using a lot of acoustic, like kind of traditional instruments, right? You're just morphing them using effects yeah. and such. Yeah. It's, I think in those early days, I actually tended to use loops or samples a tiny bit more. And I don't know, for, for whatever reason, it just evolved into more playing. It's mostly played. I mean, there, often it'll start with a, a loop that's not a drum loop, but it's sort of a weird scratchy sound or something. And maybe, put some drums over that or whatever. It'll start with something often that's not played, but most of it after that is. And then once it's played, probably a, a third of it is then sort of manipulated with yeah, yeah. you know, delay or turning around backwards or, or putting it through some sort of weird effect. But it started with something that was played. But yeah, I think maybe that gives it a different vibe from you know, certainly electronic stuff. Yeah. Yeah, definitely, because that can be very... The loop-based stuff, value judgment, alert alert coming up, opinion coming up, uh, it can get monotonous for me. Because yeah. if you set up a loop and then you're just playing over that loop, I mean, it can be an additive art form where you're just kind of stacking things on top of yeah. it. Yeah. But it can be... It just can get monotonous and because that loop is the same thing every time. And, right. And some artists are better than others about changing that as they go. Yeah. I mean, I, I've had... I mean, I've done (laughs) spent a lot of late nights just fiddling around with tons of this stuff so um i've done a lot of that and often i i felt like if it was too much of a loop or if it it was one chord or something it was just it was a little limiting yeah um so yeah it's a fine balance it's like you can i mean you can do something something great i really like hypnotic stuff sometimes it really doesn't change much and some of it can be great and then maybe the the art in it is is taking that thing that's very linear, but but you know adding something to make it interesting. Yeah. Whereas it's not, but it's still not going to change that much, and that's maybe a fine line. But yeah, sometimes it can just be too, just too much the same thing. Yeah, and I don't. I I do certain style of styles of music I like less than others for that very reason. You know, and they could make the argument a counter argument, I guess that. You know, if you're playing in a rock band and the drummer, the second verse is the same as the first verse, the same chord changes, the same drum part, why not just grab it and drop it? But I think the human ear uh, knows when it's exactly the same. And some people, they don't care. But if you've been trained in music at all, the drummer, you know, a really good drummer will do something ever so slightly different in uh, the second verse. Add a ghost hit 
or add oh, yeah. uh, a little tiny thing. And those are the details that Even, get us off as musicians. Yeah. So are you saying that like subconsciously people will pick up on this? Yeah. Yeah. Completely. I, I completely agree with that. And I, I mean, your drummer doesn't even have to try to change it. He's going to play differently. Yeah. I mean, almost every, every bar is going to have a, a, just a tiny variation if you yeah. really, really examined it. Yeah, the, um, human, the human element of music is something that's missing from certain styles of music, for me personally, as a yeah. listener. Yeah, and it, it can, you know, if that's what you're going for, I think it's fine, and there's yeah. great examples of that. But yeah, if, if you appreciate the human element, um, yeah, a lot of times yeah. it can be missing. And, and Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, I think you know contemporary recording technology obviously can can help that human element yeah. be minimized if if you're not careful i say this almost every single week when the technology comes up on the show which is that uh, its power can be used for good or its power can be used for evil. Exactly. You know, I know a lot of people doing records nowadays are using Pro Tools. Are you a Pro Tools guy? Yeah. Okay. So they're using Pro Tools or whatever other logic or whatever their program they're using, but they're using it as a glorified tape machine. They're using it because they're, you can't get a tape machine anymore. And a hard <laughs> drive is cheaper than a real two-inch tape. Right. You know, to go to a studio that has a two-inch machine is top dollar now. Yeah. You know, whereas 15 years ago, a Pro Tools studio was top dollar. Right. Ooh, you've got the Pro Tools. <laughs> Anyway, and one thing, a compliment I want to pay you, this music has that feel that it's, it's made by a human and not oh. just by a machine on repeat that you're randomizing and throwing stuff on top of yeah. it. So kudos to you, man. Good work. Well, thank you. And um, I want to, let's listen to a little bit more. I want to give people another taste of this. This is another track from Arrow Highway. There's about 11 songs on this cycle. Um, yeah, I, there's like a bonus track on the okay. Bandcamp thing. All right, very nice. This is another track from Mike Chalinski's band, Arrow Highway. I mean, band. Calling it a band. Project. Project. I call it Project. Project, yeah. Project called Arrow Highway. This is the track, just exactly how it should go. When we come back, I want you to tell me a little bit about this track. So let's hear this on Independence Day. Thank you. 
Arrow Highway on Independence Day. You can pick that up on the internet, arrowhighway.bandcamp.com. The main guy, the brain trust behind this, his name is Mike Jelinski. He's in our studio tonight. So very, very happy to have you. Mike, thanks for taking time out of your day, oh, of your busy day. Ha! <laughs> Us musicians. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Musicians are some of the busiest people I know, though, but they're just doing non-traditional things to fill yeah, that time. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Uh, tell me a little bit about that last track, just exactly how it should go. Because um, these songs, and actually, here's an even better question. How do you name them if they're instrumentals? Oh, that's a, that, well, that's a perfect question for that track, because that one actually had a sample, a spoken sample in it at one point that the guy was saying that, okay. that, just exactly how it should go. So I took that out because at a certain point, I, I, I don't want to rely on, you know, vocal samples yeah and whatever and it becomes very moby if you do that yeah i just anyway i took it out but i thought it was a great title and that one um that's a good example of the fact that a lot of these are collaborations with some really talented people that i i'm really grateful towards um and that one i did i started here again with a weird little scratchy loop or something and I happened to be going over to London for a bit, and I dropped in on um, our old, guitar, old drugstore guitarist, who I mentioned before, Darren, who's a fantastic guy. Um, and he has a, a nice little studio set up there. So I said, well, you know what, can we do something with this? And he has logic. He's actually really good at it. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not that good with the technical side of you know, digital recording. I, I do pretty much use it as a tape recorder. It might as well be two-inch tape until it comes to maybe rearranging it once I've recorded it, I move something, I turn something around backwards, make it into a weird loop, whatever. I, I fiddle around with it, but I don't do a lot of samples and, and looping, sequencing and stuff. Yeah. But he's better at that. So he came up with the drums. Um, yeah, I mean, together, we sort of patched together drums and and um, I think a couple other samples he added to it and got it in time and everything you know, looping correctly. And we worked on it together for a bit, and then I took it home and um, just I kind of deconstructed part of what we'd done and took out the the sample, the vocal sample, and then just played some more guitar. And it, it's a kind of like a sometimes it's a long process. It's not like I just got it, brought it home, and spent a couple of days on it. I had it for a long time. I set it aside. I come back to it. I set it yeah. aside. I come back to it. And so finally, I, I it just kind of you know, what you hear is, is what it ended up, ended up with. Um, and that's, that's how I named it. Uh, that's kind of how it came together. And my cat Theodore is, is notable for being on there too. Near the end, there's a little squeak. Um, yeah. and he just did that while I was playing the guitar. Oh, so cool. I, I had the, the amp mic'd, so it, it came over the mic and I thought I got to keep that. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, they're family members, you know, <laughs> We, uh, we call those happy accidents, first of all, when stuff like that happens. It's a nice thing when that happens. Sally, my dog, uh, she's on my record, too. We were doing guitar overdubs in my apartment, and they were pretty loud. I mean, we had amps. I'm surprised I didn't get evicted. I mean, we were doing feedback and okay. you know, analog delay, chirps, and all kinds of crazy, all day on a Saturday. Now, I warned my neighbors. It wasn't yeah. like I just flat out started at 7 a.m. on Saturday. <laughs> so they knew it was coming, but they were very gracious. Thanks, go, thanks goes out to the neighbors on Lafayette Street, but... But Sally was in here when we were doing these super loud feedback parts. And at the end of this one part, the very last part of the song, she kind of let out this like disturbed yell, <laughs> like she didn't like what was going on. And it was right after the guitar had stopped and it was totally cool. So we kept it. And it's, it's one of those little Pink Floyd details. That oh, you have to, if you turn off that song, that specific song, you know where it is. 
right at the very end, you turn it up really loud, you'll hear her. Great. Because, you know, I, I mean, again, I think the ear, there's so many things, that it's input that we don't process, that our brain yeah. is still processing. Oh, yeah. We don't process it on a conscious level. Exactly. Anyway. Well, that's great that you did that. Yeah. And they're, like I said, they're family members, man. I, I like my dog more than most people, and I really, really like people. <laughs> so if that gives you any indication. How about another track here? We've got a bunch of, I want to get through as much of this music as we, sure. as we can, give people a listen to this. Uh, Better than hearing uh, me talk. No, that's not necessarily the case, man. That's why we do the show. We want to hear the guy behind the talk, the girl behind yeah, or the, yeah. the music, the guy behind the music. I mean, everybody can go buy the music and spend it at home. We want to hear how it's made. So this track is called Waiting Home. Tell me just a little bit about this one before we spin it. Um, that one's got another very talented friend, great friend, great musician um, on it, Julian Goldwhite. He plays, uh, at the time, I'm pretty sure that was lap steel. Lately, he's been okay. playing more pedal steel. Uh-huh. Um so again, I, I had a weird loop. I played some stuff over it. Um, and actually, I, I can't believe I'm forgetting this. Um, that's also got Chris Camacho on bass. Who and, and strangely enough, it's like this little group of friends I have. They're, they're now in a band together called Bell Gardens, who are ph- phenomenal. Do you know Bell Gardens? Uh, a little bit. I've heard the name. They're great. So um, anyway, this, this was done several years ago. Um, and uh, I think this ended up being like... In a, used in a documentary and they, they used almost the whole track i was really surprised oh, often cool. they just use a little snippet yeah and it's like over this whole opening scene so it's very languid and it was it yeah. allowed it to sort of play out which was i think the thing was the documentary is called arid lands but it's um it's just another weird uh mood sort of yeah. piece and that's a great word that you use languid it's a five dollar word first of all second <laughs> of all it's, it's it's a perfect descriptor for what you're doing on this so many of these tracks have that kind of feel that move through them so this is the band arrow highway the project arrow highway the man is mike Jelinski. he made all this stuff with some help from his friends the track waiting home here on independence day
are listening to Independence Day. My name is Joe Armstrong. Every week I bring you wonderful musicians and people from the music business from all over the country and all over the world. Tonight's guest, Mike Chalinski from Arrow Highway, is no exception. He's from Southern California, but he spent a lot of time in London uh, with a band called Drugstore. Why don't you take us back to that period? Tell me what it was like to, because there was a bit, you guys were a pretty big indie band, right? Tell me what it was like to be in a band, like during the golden age of, of being an indie band. It was a good time. It was the 90s. Um, you know, there are still record labels that signed bands and gave you a, a pretty good advance and paid for your, your, your album and gave you tour support so you could, you know, travel around in a bus. And yeah, that's a key word. That's something that a lot of indie bands don't get to do nowadays. Indie bands are mostly in vans or even cars. Like I know guys who tour in a Prius. They cram a whole van <laughs> into a Prius now. Yeah. Um, you mean the bus, being on a bus? or Well, just the whole ex- this, the experience. I mean, you know, you're traveling around like you're living. I mean, for a lot of people, that's a dream. You know, yeah. so tell me what for you, what the reality of that dream was like in the 90s when you're touring around on the bus. Well, it was it was pretty great. Um, I mean, it uh, like everything, it has some downsides. And once you get more into it, you see the fuller picture and um, you know some of the cons. But yeah, I mean, you can't can't complain. I mean, somebody's basically paying you to go play music and tour around the world. So um, you know, go into nice studios. So how many it, dates would you say you were doing at that period uh, on average a year? Um, I mean, we guess like a road dog I mean, band where it was well, like 200 it, it, dates a year or... Yeah, probably not that. It went in phases. I know we did the first album, which came out in, I think, spring of 95. And then we toured for about 18 months after that. So I don't know how many dates we did in that, but it was pretty constant for a year and a half. I mean, you'd have th- three weeks on, a week off, two yeah. weeks on, a few days off. So um, I don't know, probably with Drugstore overall. There was one point, at which I kind of totaled them up or had some sort of, you know, tally going in my head. I think we'd hit about 500 gigs, but we toured a fair amount. We had a manager that, that he was kind of a tough guy, (laughs) tough on, uh, on other people when he was negotiating for us, but also tough on us, like kept us busy. Yeah. Um, but it was, it was great. I mean, we were on a, we signed a go discs, which actually was Portishead's label. They were on the go beat side but the same thing. Um, so they were part of Polygram, which was the major label. Go Discs was an independent label, large independent Polygram's, you know, quote unquote, a major label. So we had London Records over here, which was part of the Polygram family, and labels around all over Europe and things. So you know, um, it was it was great. Um, the first album came out, got really good reviews sold okay and you know london england the the british music scene is very it's a little bit trend oriented like a young band a little bit <laughs> a young band <laughs> there's all those <laughs> magazines isn't like that the stock and trade of the london yeah. music industry well I, yeah, yeah, i'm trying trying to be polite but yeah it's 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 like that i mean i love england and well britain as as a whole you know including yeah. you know, not forgetting places like scotland but I, I i love the people i love i love the place i love the culture the the sense of humor and the music scene to me was it was great because i mean we basically put out a seven inch single on our own instead of a demo and within a month it was single of the week number two. They they would sometimes in Melody Maker they'd have sort of single of the week number one, number two. That you know if there were a, a couple or a few good releases that week. So I think yeah, we're yeah. single of the week number two. 
um, that guy, Dave Jennings, who was a great guy, came to see us like the next week at some tiny venue. And we started getting calls from managers, from labels, and, and boom. It's like within three, four months, we went from nothing to putting out our own single on our own label to having you know stuff in Melody Maker, the, the single review, the live review, a manager, um, you know, Evan Dando sent us a postcard from Germany saying, oh, you guys are great. Well, I want to, you know, play yeah, yeah. open for him at the Brixton Academy, you know, in front of, I don't know. I don't know. The place wasn't quite full when we were playing, but, you know, it held yeah. a few thousand. Um, so it, it's just, I don't know. I've never been in a band in, in the United States. I'm not sure. It, it, it always struck me that it was a little bit of a different animal and a, yeah. a different path. But the other thing about England was everybody who mattered almost would hear about your band within that month because yeah. they all read enemy and melody maker. If you got on the evening session, which was, um, Steve Lamack on, I guess it was radio one, whatever BBC, the indie show, which I think we did fairly early on. I can't remember when I think our manager went on and played our record or something. It's like within that couple of months, almost everybody that was into indie music in the country would have heard of you. And I, I don't think that's possible here. I mean, I, I just don't think, I mean, there was at the time there was like 120 minutes the video yeah, yeah, thing yeah. on MTV, and I guess you know that was on what like once a week people would yeah. would tune in for that, and if you played on that a few times, I guess you'd kind of reach a lot of the indie music fans. Yeah. But it's still it's just like there it's so concentrated, and that's I think that's the key point is that part of that is geographic. You know, you've got I mean, not that there aren't diverse parts of England or Britain as you say, but it's more concentrated, and they're all on that island yeah you know so that it's easier for them to have a national identity i think because and because i've traveled there and, and i that's the that's the impression i get when i'm there is to have a national identity you know the scots would are obviously argue otherwise <laughs> yeah. and the yeah. irish too but even you know but even within even with the you combine all three together they still have a closer identity that's more codified than they are compared to everyone else you yeah know? so if you oh, just yeah. go with the brits themselves it's much easier to be codified or the irish to have to get behind something, a style or a band, you know, because it can, you know, that's like California, you know, how many people live in California? I mean, it's, 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 yeah. it's kind of the same idea, you know, being a big band in California might be compared to being a big man in, in, yeah. in England, but you, but the rewards I think are greater to be a big, uh, even a big indie band in England. Yeah. And people love music there. I mean, and there's also this tradition of American bands going to, to the UK yeah. or having to go to sort of make it. Like Josh Ritter is a classic example. Oh, okay. He's a singer-songwriter. He's from Idaho. And he was <laughs> okay. living in New York, like playing dopey little venues and writing. He's a great writer, but he couldn't couldn't buy a gig. Right. And he went somehow he went on a tour to Ireland and they were throwing babies. You know, <laughs> it's the same music, same guys, same <laughs> yeah. everything, and they love it. Yeah. So he can't, you know, he would then he learned really quickly, he would just, you know, go back to New York. That's where he lived, and then he would just book another tour to England or Ireland, <laughs> right, and go exactly. and make make his money, and then come back, and then that allowed him to be a platform to launch it. Or the Jayhawks did that with Spain for some reason. Okay, and you know this American Minnesota right Americana yeah, band, I, I knew them, they yeah. love them in Spain. So even now they'll go play Spain, wow. they'll play these big festivals. Who? Wow. It's, it's so strange. Yeah, yep. it's yeah. No, it's 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 something I always noticed, and. I, I mean, made me love England even more. That they they yeah. appreciate good music. They're really really enthusiastic about yeah. it. Um, I mean, some of those festivals, you know, Reading. I mean, people just they're just 
crazed, you know, yeah. in the crowd. Yeah, music is a really big deal over there. I want to talk a little bit more about that, but I want to play some more music before we do. Sure. Seems like a, a logical place to kind of step in here. This is the track Everyone I Know, also from the... Uh, Arrow Highway record, which is a brand new project you're putting out, and you're just releasing this online so people can get it at Bandcamp. Yes, and are you is, through Bandcamp? Is this something they can just flat out download for free, or is this something that they have to pay um, a little? They bit? can listen to it for free. Okay, but uh, if you want to own it, I, I guess it's it's like seven dollars. Okay, <laughs> yeah, and you know, and that's that's the sad, maybe the saddest reality of the music business nowadays is that. You know, it's not uncommon to pay. What, I mean, I'm not a coffee guy, but people will pay five bucks for a cup oh, of coffee, yeah. and they won't think twice about that. They'll do exactly. it five days a week, six days exactly. a week, but they won't drop ten bucks on an album that an artist slaved over, spent thousands on. You know, it's like you, people, the more capitalist people I know, will say, you know, well, the the market deems what the product is worth, but I don't think that's accurate yeah. when it comes to art. You know, there it, needs to be commerce. But it's not apples and apples, apples to oranges. It's a weird apples thing. And apples. It's a weird thing. All right. Yeah. So anyway, I'm going to get off on a rant. I can feel it. This is the track Everyone I Know from Arrow Highway. So very, very happy to have the progenitor of this, Mike Chalinski, in our studio tonight. Let's spin it here on Independence Day. But, but there are still just as many interests. I mean, it's like everyone is interested. Everyone's a character. And I wanted to write about I mean, that one about my dad, you know, it's like, what do I think of when I think of my dad? I remember this memory of him telling me about driving a motorcycle through Europe and meeting these Swedish twins. That's my dad. <laughs> it's like, what would you write about somebody that you know so well? Or, you know, it's gonna take years. Yeah, I thought of it. I thought of it. I wanted to, to do a piece called Everyone I Know, and I was trying to think of how I could show it. And I was thinking, yeah, I was thinking like writing all these little paragraphs and having an exhibition of like maybe maybe a photograph of a person. I mean, how could you do it? You could do a book, maybe a photo and then a little thing, and it's almost like characters in a film, but the film is real life. You know? Just that. Would you read everyone? It's like an installation. I, I guess it was like an installation. Once again, Arrow Highway here on Independence Day. Mike Chalinski is the guy behind all this music. Very cool, very ambient, soundscapey type music you can imagine being in the background on uh, this um, this American Life. And he did. Uh, NPR did pick you. What what was it? A documentary? What did they tap you for for your music? Was it a specific that, well, show? That, that was part of a short video piece that was on their website. Okay. Um, I've had a lot of stuff used in in these documentary video type of yeah. things. Um, a lot of them on the Oxford American Magazine's website, which is a great sort of Southern literary. It's like the yeah, New, yeah. New Yorker of the South. And um, a guy named Dave Anderson, who's a great photographer, like fine art photographer, sort of, you know, whatever yeah. the word is, uh, I can't even think right now, sort of started doing these great art, art, artistic sort of documentary videos as yeah. well. and. 
Um, he's used a lot of that. So uh, a lot now, of stuff on there. Are you able to monetize those when people use them for things like that? Like do they, they um, send you yeah, a yeah. check I mean, and it's say nothing, thanks for the thing? Or Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's paid. It's nothing that's going to, you know. Yeah set me up for life but um, are you it's, it's are you i'm a, really grateful to them for that and i think that's great to i mean that they can support you know a, a project like it's called that that project is called so lost that's the okay. series that they that they can support that and then through that you know people like me is yeah. really admirable are you are you ascap or bmi or csac are you a member um, of a performing rights organization no, I, I i am in england uh, prs but i've never okay. joined the others and i'm not sure i guess i should i don't know yeah well i mean that's that's a uh, i say gravy train but that's a very important source of revenue for musicians now is you know synchronization rights of people using it for i mean these aren't really commercials but they're kissing cousins to commercials they're using them for documentaries and you know we know we're all artists you know we don't we're kind of sheepish sometimes about asking for money <laughs> yeah. for our work because we're so conditioned to the fact that it feels valueless to so many people and it's it's sad you know yeah. i hate to bring it up but that's exactly what it feels like sometimes it feels like you know what you do in our society at least doesn't really yeah. have value we talk about value in music but i don't think we really do that much yeah i mean that's a it's a thorny question especially these days yeah so, you know, but, but it could be a source of some revenue because, you know, if some, as you do this more, which I hope you do, uh, someone will hear of it and maybe you'll get in a Michael Moore documentary or, and, you know, and he's yeah. got some money to spend. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, th I think, you know, hopefully, I mean, it's, that would be a, a good sort of goal. Yeah. Get you a night at the taco place, at least <laughs> some revenue, you know, we, and this kind of ties into both the two topics we were just talking about, which is like making music in England because you were, you, this band, um, uh, drugstore right out of the gate because you were based out of London was yeah. touring internationally r pretty much right away. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, we toured, started in the UK, of course, yeah. um, went to, to, uh, to Europe, which is, you know, short jaunts, but Frisbee's throwaway. Yeah. I mean, we toured, uh, the U S in the summer of 95 after that album came out. Um, so yeah, I mean, and, and Europe is, I, I always loved Europe. The food's great. And they, they really, it's almost there. I mean, I obviously, you know, the UK is fantastic, but they have a lot of bands there. There's a lot of British bands, a lot of American bands. There. But if you go to a mid-sized town in France or Spain, there they really appreciate you, you know, or Portugal, you know. Yeah. They, they take really good care of you. You walk backstage and it's like a feast. There's like a table with a, you know, pot mound of food and wow. they'll take you to dinner. It and, sounds like a dream come true, man. Well, it's, I mean, it's, it's pretty fun. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, it was, so all I'm saying is that uh, touring Europe was, was really fun, partly because they get a few less bands there and they really, they go out of their way to show you their town, you know, take you out really. It's, it's yeah, it's great. Tell me about, you know, we, we we've, again, we've touched on this a little bit, but I want to go a little, a little deeper with this compare and contrast, like playing a show Let's start with a show, like playing a show in Europe or England, the, the audience reaction and how they interact with you versus here in the States. Like, does it, does it feel palpably different from the stage? Um, it'd be, it might be a little bit of an unfair comparison because Drugstore was much bigger in the UK and even in, like in France or Germany. Yeah. So the club would be pretty full and people would be right in front of the stage and pretty much going crazy. And over here, we never quite had that. I mean, we opened for bands and played bigger venues, and we were the only the you know, quote-unquote opening band. Yeah, yeah. And then we would do our own shows at smaller clubs, and there were 
people who knew us, people would come out, but it was never quite the same yeah. sample, if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, I guess, but I mean, even at the smaller shows that where you were headlining, you know, is there a, I think this is something people, I, I love to ask musicians who've toured internationally because it seems to me, and in the sh- shows that I've done overseas, like there's, it just feels different to be in front of an audience in, you know, I mean, these are cultural differences, so maybe it's, it's stupid in that regard. But they, they all know your music. They're there. They bought a ticket. They ponied up their own money to yeah. buy a ticket. But, I mean, is it, does it just feel different to have fans from different countries? Um, I, I mean, I, I guess. And maybe the answer is no, you know? Well, I mean, again, it's a little hard to compare, but I just would go back to probably, you know, sort of what I was talking about before, which is that there's a maybe a slightly greater passion for music over there um so it just seemed like there was there's maybe just more energy um and so i I, i'm not saying that's not the case here and obviously i i've been to tons of gigs here where i've been in the audience and and i've witnessed that i just didn't have it as much from you know being on stage i mean we played at the troubadour i think our second american tour and that was jammed it was a fantastic show so i mean i think if it if we had more of those here i I probably would say it's somewhat more similar yeah but i i don't know and it's it's been a while too it's not like i did that last year so i I, it's i probably not giving you a very good answer yeah well this whole new this new project i mean you're you're getting just different kinds of accolades you know like i I like it i'd call myself a fan of what you're doing (laughs) thanks but then you know you're getting it's it, because it's so different. It's not a band. It's not a a, a band that you're going to go see at the Troubadour and sing along and hold up your lighter. Right. You know. It's 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 like you said. It's it's languid and it's evocative of all these emotions and images. Which takes me to my next point, which is you're also a visual artist. Like you're a photographer. Is this something you just started documenting on tour or? Um, I got into photography when I was in drugstore. I had friends who were importing those, the, well, I'm just going to say the Lomo camera. I'm sure nobody knows what that is, but it's a Russian camera that they started making or remaking in the 90s a little 35 millimeter but had a particular type of lens and the photos had a certain look and it became sort of a cult thing and it now it's even more so that but um so they were importing them so i ended up getting one and kind of getting into their little circle and then when i would come back to los angeles for breaks i would i started taking photography classes so i kind of started then and i've always done it it's never been a main thing but I've had you know some stuff published here or there um, in magazines and I was in I think the first little sort of Lomo book it was it was a I mean it's a nice project a big thick hardcover book that they published over there I had a bunch of stuff in that and so um yeah I've I've always done it off and on um, and I go through phases again a little bit uh, with that um, and I've after a while, I started getting into older and larger form- format cameras. So I've got uh-huh. I've got a bunch of four by five. So I I do drive around the country at times, um, you know, lugging this yeah. old camera and putting a hood over oh, over cool, my though. head so I can focus through the ground glass. So yeah, it's 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 another outlet for something. Yeah how does how does one inform the other like music and visual art for you? Ah, uh, that's a good question. I, I don't know if I think about it that much. Um, it just kind of, kind of happens. I mean, I think they're both, again, as I was talking earlier, maybe it's just sort of 
a slightly different manifestation of whatever's in me. And, you know, it just kind of comes out. I don't think of them too much in connection. Because Does that makes sense? They, they seem related thematically, though. Well, they are, but I think that's just because of me. Yeah. But I don't, I tend not to think that much about a lot of this stuff. I, and that's one reason I'm, I'm not sure I'm, you know, a real contemporary photographer, because I think part of what goes into that is maybe conceptualizing one's work a little more than I feel inclined to. Yeah. Um, I just don't, just don't feel like I, I want to think that much about it. Yeah. You know, I, I, I could see you could make a case for that, but man, I mean, it's, if you, if your photographs are in books and if you're doing exhibitions of those photographs that well, are in exhibitions of any kind, I mean, that's, that's certainly something I'd call a real photographer. Yeah. Well, those, the, the exhibitions actually, um, just a minor correction. Those were, I've got a, an interest in vintage found photos or snapshots. Those were, I have a project of snapshots with, with writing on the back or sometimes the front, like a you know, not just somebody's name or date, but a story or something tragic or funny. So those, those were in the shows. Um, my own photography has been in magazines and, and that book, but I haven't, haven't really had any, you know, real shows. I've had, you know, like a local thing, but. Well, that's, you know, that's real enough, man. I mean, if you're, if you're taking photographs and people are looking at them somewhere other than like on your phone or in your living room, if it's, if it's made that jump, I guess. You know, because some people, it's music is the same thing. Like, I knew a guy once who was a drummer back in Chicago. He's a, a relative of a friend of mine, great human being. And I needed a new drummer for a band. And my buddy said, oh, you should, you should audition this guy. So we went to his house. And, you know, I'd, I'd heard tapes of him playing. And he was a phenomenal drummer. But he had never played with a band. Really? He was, like, in his late 20s, maybe. And... He just practiced all just day and was practiced super... all the time. Was super adept on the instrument. Could play Neil Peart and all these <laughs> yeah. other different drummers. He was a great guy, great drummer. But when we brought music in to play with him, he had no idea how to do it because <laughs> yeah. he only played in his room. That's amazing. And, you know, I, I guess I'm applying the same thing to photography. Like, I mean, I, I, I love to take pictures and I love framing things and right. mucking around with that kind of stuff. But, you know, I, I put it on Facebook. I put it on Twitter and, and Instagram and all those kinds of things. Like every, everybody else does now <laughs> yeah. fancies themselves a photographer. Yeah. But I don't know that I would qualify. I don't know that I would qualify to get hanging anywhere. You know, maybe well, one shot in my lifetime, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's like anything. I mean, if, if you dedicated yourself to it and you, you started with some talent, yeah. I mean, it, it's, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know if I call myself a photographer, but I, you know, I've, I've taken classes. I've taken art center at night classes. I've, I mean, I, I learned sort of the, the old-fashioned craft of yeah. processing your own black-and-white film, making prints in the black-and-white or color darkroom, and I still do that. I actually make my... I scan my negatives now, but I still shoot film. Yeah. So, you know, I did study a little bit. I just don't consider myself to be quite uh, engaged with, with yeah. you know, all of the streams of contemporary... I think no, you're selling, you're selling yourself short, man. But that's well, that's just my opinion. You 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 seem like a guy, you know, you're kind of a walking artist. When what you're doing, whether it's music or photography, like you're you're expressing yourself in whatever way that comes naturally out of you, which I guess is a pure form of of being an artist. Yeah. So, so keep up keep up to what you're doing, man. It's good. Yeah. Well, I mean like Simone who was on the person talking on that everyone I know track, Simone White, who's a great singer-songwriter and she's on 
um, Honest John's in uh, in England, which is Damon Albarn from yeah. Blur's label. And she's and Gorillas, had, right? So, Isn't he the guy else who's in Gorillas? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she's had several records, and they're doing really well. She's had songs in big commercials. and But she is an incredible photographer and also a great writer. And so she's, to me, she's just like this... She's probably the most creative person I know over, you know, multiple disciplines. And I've always noticed that about her. She's just, whatever it is, comes out of her in, in a variety of ways. Yeah. Can she balance her checkbook? I think she's probably pretty good at that. Yeah. I, I don't notice her, you know. I mean, there are people, you know, who have issues with just normal life. Existing like in society. I do, but... Yeah, she the, seems pretty together, um, which like, actually surprises me. I mean, there's like two types of artists. I think there's the kind who are like type A in it, and whatever they're doing, like they're doing it well and effectively, and they're totally on the ball. And then there seems like there's the the f ups, <laughs> who are you know, and I, I hope I haven't lumped you in there by default, oh, but like you know, it's okay. and I, I I mean I I walk the line between the two of those. Well, I exactly, I have my exactly. moments in both camps. I think, and it's maybe we're just all human. That's what we're trying to do. Let's play one more track before we run out of time here. Uh, this is the track Electro Rotation. Tell me just a little bit about this one before we play it. Um, that's just me. Um, I believe it's got a weird uh, drum machine. Not a weird drum machine, but it's mixed in there in a certain ghostly way. And uh, just just playing a bunch of stuff. <laughs> okay. Well, you, you heard it from the man, the man who invented it. So this is Mike Chalinski from Arrow Highway. One last track on Independence Day. Thank you. 
One last time, Mike Chalinski here on Independence Day with his new project, Arrow Highway. You can learn everything you need to know about them at arrowhighway.com. Also, facebook.com slash pages slash arrow dash highway, which is a little cumbersome, but you'll find it if you look up yeah, the band. Yeah, yeah, I don't know about that. Uh, arrowhighway.bandcamp.com is where you can pick up this new record. And uh, you don't have Twitter, but we were, uh, we're using Jedi Mind Tricks to maybe get you I involved think I in will. the Twitterverse. Yeah, I'm going to have to do that. And please, of course, as always, follow us here at In-Depth Day. Uh, in depth day at in depth day i n d e p d a y so i try to try to keep up with what's going on in the music business or at least my my take on it new bands all the bands that have been on the show that kind of thing random yeah. observations about life just like everybody else's narcissistic exhibitionism on well, the internet well and let me say real quick i i did listen to some of the episodes and it's it's great i mean what you're doing oh, man, is a great you. it's a great service thanks man Thank you very, very much. I, I work very, very hard at it, so I, I really hope people dive in and listen to these episodes because I, I couldn't be more proud to have the artists I've had on, on this show so far, and I hope I get to do... I mean, this is our 90, 90-something taping. I'm not sure when this will air exactly, but uh, you know, every one of these artists has something to offer people, and there's a lot. I hope I have you know, 900 more if I can get around to it. So before we run out of time, exactly. Uh, you know, no plans to play this stuff live for the time being? Uh, not right now. I mean, if I, if something, if an opportunity arose, it, you know, it would be fun to put together. And I have so many people yeah. here and in London, almost could have yeah. two lineups. Totally. Um, well, I'll play tremolo guitar, man. Anytime uh, you want. That'd be great. Get out my old deluxe um, reverb. I love tremolo. But yeah, it's, it's hard for me to picture what, Young bands do though. I mean, I mean, if you're a normal band, you've you know got guitar, bass, drums, whatever, and you're singing songs. I, I can see you go out and play the normal vi- venues, but I'm not sure where I would do this and blah blah blah. So if there's any great opportunities, just get in touch. Yeah. Well, and, and vice versa. If you if you do this, make sure you let us know because we'll make sure people know about. Oh, it. sure. Uh, and then lastly, what um, what's next? You know, you've done this one record; it just came out, so this is a brand new thing. Yeah. Uh, are you just going to kind of continue to make these sorts of things and do another record at some point, or is there a new project in the works? Yeah, that's a good question. I'm definitely going to continue. I mean, I'm constantly working on stuff. Um, you know, yeah. I mean, just accumulate enough that I could put out another EP or. LP to use the archaic terms. Um, but in the meantime, I don't know. I, I mean, I've kind of been rolling over in my mind the idea of maybe doing a physical product. I mean, I love vinyl and yeah, I did yeah. do a 10 inch EP on clear vinyl and I, I really slaved over the artwork and everything way back at the end of the drugstore day. So I'd kind of like to maybe do almost like a seven inch and maybe combine it with something dealing with photography. Yeah, I, I yeah. don't know. I'm just kind of thinking about it, but I'd like to do something possibly that's not simply uh you know digital yeah 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 very nice well we will we will look forward to that man so keep up what you're doing it's cool stuff and so unique and that's uh one of my favorite things about artists is when they do something different from what everyone else is doing so mike thank you again very much for coming out spending time talking to us about what you're doing musically it's very much appreciated thank you so thanks to mike jolinski from arrow highway also to the independence day staff valentino rivera dale tanksley wayne topinski and sally shackleton independence day's theme music was composed by great lakes myth society as always for independence day I am Joe Armstrong. Please be good to one another.